This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora everyone, welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. Um, it's just going to be your girl writing solo for this episode, but boy, have I got a lot of good stuff to kind of get stuck into. Um, again, like all the other weeks, I feel like I say this every single episode that I'm recording by myself, but genuinely had some really, really interesting conversations around identity and racism and what counts as racism and um, how do we stay away from um, performative activism. And so it's inspired a lot of what I want to get into um, for this episode. Um, But I kind of wanted to talk about Ramadan real quick before I get into anything else. So just in case you don't know, um, Ramadan is the month of fasting for Muslims. I have spoken about it before on the show, but just in case this is your first time tuning in and you're like, ooh, what is this? Um, Ramadan is a month of fasting. So between the hours of sunrise and sunset, so basically during the day, um, Muslims abstain from food and water. And um, I know it sounds pretty hard out because I'm not too sure what other fasts um, don't abstain from water as well. Every single time I um, explain Ramadan to people in my life, they always say, not even water? Yeah, not even water. I feel like I need to have that on a shirt and just wear that during Ramadan. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we abstain from, you know, the ideas that you abstain from worldly things. Um, so you have the time to focus on spiritual things and your relationship and connection with God. And last year was really strange um, having Ramadan in the middle of a lockdown and it just yeah felt so strange and I don't know why I remember feeling so tired and fatigued at that point of the year and I literally had no energy and there was no motivation because there was no community as well um so it was just really hard last year um but I think because we didn't have the opportunity to celebrate or go up fast the way that we usually do this year has meant um even more and the connection and community is featured more in um my ramadan this year which is awesome um and i feel like because i'm just in a better mindset i'm able to commit to Ramadan more because Ramadan is like anything else in life the more that you put in the more you get out of it and so it's all about praying and um we have this world word sorry called um dua which translates to supplication and um I don't know, the last to me a like a time to be very frank and I just you know call upon God for help and support and um share my worries and um it's really nice it's really hard to explain I feel like that concept to people who aren't religion or don't have faith because 
I suppose coming from that perspective, that idea of spirituality and connection with God might sound a bit odd, but um, hey, it definitely floats my boat and it makes me feel um, like I'm developing as a person. Um, So it's just been really nice leaning into that. I think in the future when I'm not studying anymore and I'm like working full time again. I definitely would love to use a bit of my leave um, in the future just to take the last two weeks of the um, month off to just really live and breathe um, praying logistically and practically. It is hard balancing it with studies and everything else that is going on in life, but it's definitely taught me that lesson um, or a good really reminder um that when you want something to happen or you really believe in something, you somehow find room in your life to make it happen. Um, and this is this sounds really like, how does this relate to the podcast tomorrow? Um, but what I'm go on to talk about later, it will make sense, but it really has um, been a true lesson of that. I mean, there are, I don't think I have slept the full eight hours this week, but, you know, making sure that I still do the morning prayer um, in the morning, even if it means going back to sleep afterwards or fitting in the other prayers of the day um, in between uni and and work and stuff. Um, You learn to make it work. If something is really important to you, you learn yeah, you learn how to fit it into your life. And I think with Ramadan the intensity of it is quite high because there's five prayers a day and you're you know, you you pray during Ramadan. Um and I wonder how and this is a good reminder for me as I'm talking about this, I wonder um if it will how much of it will translate once Ramadan finishes but now that I have this sense of this is what it feels like to make room for something that's really important to you um, and once you realize why it's important to you as well um, you can almost do anything in life Um, but I do want to add in a grain of salt to that um, because I have seen some toxic things on Instagram about if um, someone doesn't show up then they just don't care and that's not true I think people in saying that you also need to recognize what aligns with you and what makes sense in your life for how you show up for things and this is going to be relevant when I start talking about performative um, activism a bit later on in this yarn Um, there are many avenues to show that you care and many avenues to make it work into your life. Um, So don't feel that pressure from that statement. Just saying that and putting it out there as a disclaimer, just in case, because I have seen some really like (laughs) toxic attitudes in in this space on social media about, you know, if someone doesn't um, show up in this particular way and this with this level of frequency and they just don't care um there you anyone can make anything work if they really care about it i mean which is true but you have to take um the time out to realize first why is this important to you and b um how are you going to 
um, prioritize that in amongst all the other stuff that is happening in your life. So I think so far that's the biggest Ramadan reflection that I've had so far. Um, I'm sure there will be more and I will share it on the podcast here. I think this Ramadan experience is kind of taking me back to lockdown in a good way. I mean, there were so many good things, bad things about lockdown. It was many things all at the same time. Uh, But one of the good things about lockdown is that because everything in the world just kind of seemed to come to a slow to a stop almost um you get a chance to also feel that slowness and um live life on your own terms and it's a good um gives you a good breather to reshuffle the cards and realize what's important what isn't so that part has been really important um you know the past week and a bit of ramadan so i am very much looking forward to what else this um slowness encourages what are the thoughts and um feelings it invokes but i'll be sure to to share it and um hey if you want to get amongst i have like i know a lot of non-muslim people who are trying to fast for a day um and seeing what it feels like I mean, go for it. And you know what? I would encourage you to link up with your local mosque and see if they're doing a community iftar. So iftar is the meal that you have once you break the fast. And because we're in like autumn at the moment, it's pretty early, around 5.36-ish, depending on where you are in the country. But around that time, when you break the fast, you have a meal and... Um, mosques are doing community iftars so anyone and everyone can just rock up to the mosque and um, say good day to someone you probably wouldn't have met otherwise and yeah have a feed and um, leave with some with a full belly and some food for thought I think um, if you're not familiar with Islam or the Muslim community, it's important to have um, experiences like that. So when Islamophobia is knocking on your door, um, you're able to recognize what's the ignorance and, and you know, where the people and, and the what the reality actually is and, and where it lies and amongst all the ignorant BS that's always put out there um, surrounding Islam. So yeah, those are my uh, musings um, from Ramadan so far. And um, what I would like to um, get stuck into is talking about this term called um, trauma porn. And I was ta- I started talking about this this week with um, one of my good friends. Um, she and I were just talking about, you know, how the conversations in the race space, how it often presents in the social media sphere. And then the term trauma porn came up. So um, for those of you who are like, I've never heard of this term before, um, what does that mean? It is, trauma porn is when media showcases um, a particular group's pain or trauma in excessive amounts or sometimes it doesn't even have to be in excessive amounts in casual in such a casual manner and um sometimes this media is for the sake of um entertainment so it's not for 
um, the empowerment of the marginalized group, um, but to console or entertain the non-marginalized group, the majority. Um, so it caters to the majority's ego um, instead of actually um, helping the marginalized person or the marginalized group um, have a way to um, paint what life is really like for them. And this is something that I notice whenever something horrific um, really happens and people are very quick to kind of share, even if they're not directly sharing um, the image or the footage of of exactly what happened. I know some people who are on that um, extreme level where they will um, share a photo of or a video of exactly what happened. But the fact that we crowd around um, tragic events and we're very quick to share it or to pass it on um, when... And, and the reason why I struggle with this is you know, the whole, everyone who is engaged in race relations or engaged in the space, their aim is to make, you know, society more empathetic and to make society actively anti-racist and to be an ally or to be actively um, anti-racist um, is really hard work. And a lot of it happens offline and a lot of it is long-term progress. Um, and there needs to, yeah, there needs to be a lot of action that happens offline um, to match the energy that's happening online. And I feel like the real mahi, the real work that needs to be done, there is a slowness to it however when something traumatic happens we are very quick um to share that on social media and even if it's shared in a i don't for lack of a better word in a positive sense in terms of um people saying this happened and this is not right and these are the details of what happened to this person i still consider that trauma porn because you're still sharing the pain you're sharing the your details the details of what's happened um you're sharing the event um rather than and sometimes I think when you share the event, it's really easy for why you're sharing the event to get lost behind that because it just enters this discourse of thousands and millions of people all across the world um, condemning this event and sharing the details of this trauma. And I, I see the value in social media in in this mahi I think it's a very accessible and good starting point to share um, different um, viewpoints and stories and tips and solutions and and all that kind of thing Um, but we have to be careful and we have to be sure that um, this energy is matched with our actions um, offline because Trauma porn is very um, exploitive and um, emotionally provocative. It doesn't do anything for those from the marginalized community. People who come from a marginalized community are 
too aware of exactly what their issues are because they experience day in day out they know about the deaths they know about the stereotypes they know about the hardships um but trauma porn doesn't do anything for marginalized communities it just um makes light of what it means to be marginalized um you know it takes away from the experiences and struggles that marginalized communities face by making a mockery of it and and turning it into this kind of experience this um thing that you want to be part of um like for example when the black lives matter movement took off a lot of people were um participating in you know wanting to be part of this movement there were so many black squares posted and and so many hashtags and all of this and so many details of you know what happened to George Floyd and and what happened to Trayvon Martin and all these other people um and it's not helpful to those of the marginalized community um and um, I think this is something that we are waking up to. And um, it reminds me of the song, This Is America. I can't remember what year it came out, but my king, Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald um, Glover. He, Glover, I think his last name is Glover. Um, he is a artist. He is an actor um a rapper um just honestly he does a bit of everything um and he kind of talks about uh trauma porn in in the song this is america um and it's when you watch the music video it's you're going to be you're going to be shook um I mean, a black person is shot, and then, then before you know it, there's like these, um, all these dancers doing the most popular moves, and um, I think what that video illustrates is that, um, you know, we share trauma. I don't know what people's intention are, if they're conscious to it, to to launch a conversation but it's not launching anything um yeah it's not launching anything and it's actually a detriment to the well-being of those who do come from um, a marginalized community and i think there are definitely other ways um there are other ways to launch these conversations um, not just thinking about the event, but thinking about what are the structures behind that event that allow things like this to happen. What are what are our values as a society where things can this happen? What do we prioritize? What do we choose to stand against? I I think trauma porn it really is limiting. It's quite limiting because you're not thinking about the bigger things you're thinking about oh how horrific was that event um and that's it there's nothing else that really comes out of it otherwise and so that leaves us in a situation where marginalized groups um are traumatized and horrified that their pain is being um just so 
widely distributed and then you have the majority who have pat themselves on the back because they think they are launching conversations and increasing awareness and by the way increasing awareness for a group that is already very well aware of what's happening because it happens to them day in and day out um and it's just triggering um and i think that there are other ways that we can go about it um, I think what we really need to work on is move away from sharing um, traumatic things. That And when this happens again and again and again, and it makes me so sad to say that it does happen again and again and again, um, that we just over time become desensitized. You know, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, this is... Um, this is how it it is this is our new normal and it makes me sick to say that but honestly that's what trauma porn does to you uh, desensitizes you to it and for you for like people to feel anything that just leads to extreme um violence where it will more extreme violence so it will trigger people to wake up to how horrible it is um and and that's what happens when when you become desensitized it needs to be it gets extreme and more extreme before people say anything because they're so desensitized they just it doesn't even cause a reaction or nothing when um traumatic things are shared um so we need to move away from trauma porn and what we actually need to be looking at is thinking about solutions and launching conversations that encourage people to think about the bigger things and encourage people to think about it um offline um i think when people share traumatic violent things there's the reaction of um, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. This needs to stop. Um, but that is, I, I hear with the, this is horrible. It needs to be stopped, but it's not actually helpful because it doesn't lead to action. And then you have the people who have become so desensitized. They're just like, this doesn't matter. This happens. They must've asked for it somehow. And instead of putting the blame on the system, it's now being pushed back onto the marginalized group. Um, because this happens all the time so they're the common denominator surely um, it's their fault and then what we should be striving for when we think about reactions to injustice is people who are radically empathetic so people who are like oh my gosh yes this does suck and why is this happening and this shouldn't happen anymore but how can we work together how can we pull our resources and our privilege together and our experiences our collective lived experience to change the system to change how we approach matters like this because that is more that is long lasting and that is more inclusive of everyone um, because we need as many people as possible um, to empower real change so 
I think when we think about the role of social media and when we think about what we're sharing um, online, you need to ask yourself, like, why am I sharing this to begin with? I think that is a key question. Um, Another key question is who will benefit um, by me sharing this? And um, when I share this, does this match the energy and my actions and my commitment offline as well and if you are not happy with any of your answers for the questions above then perhaps the answer is not to share it at all I think we honestly have to be very careful when we think about what we're sharing online um and I I really hope this doesn't come across um as an attack because I I don't want it to um I know you know your average Joe just sees something horrifying and thinks it's not okay and just wants to share it to bring awareness to it um but that's actually harmful what we need to be thinking about is you know who who benefits from this by me sharing this who's going to be disadvantaged who's going to be hurt um and who's going to be disempowered by by me sharing this and why am I sharing it is it for for me to make me feel better about what's going on is it to boost my ego um is it to soothe my fragility um or is it to empower people to have conversations about things about the uncomfortable things to talk about the experiences their thought process the structure the system um not just the event because we need to be thinking more widely um than just the event if we want any change to happen ever um so yeah I just really wanted to share some thoughts about trauma porn I now want to um share some thoughts on just racism itself because while I was thinking about um trauma porn it made me my thought process was okay um you know when people become desensitized um it kind of becomes more and more extreme and not only does it become more and more extreme for people to then react to it there's also this other unfortunate side effect where there is this connotation that if racism isn't violent um then it isn't racism and and I think that's a attitude that is quite suffocating here in New Zealand because we look at what happens in America and we're like we condemn what happens in America right we look at America and we're like and I've heard people say this like oh thank god we're not like America and well we we don't have racism like that here and sir young madam grandma person let's say let's cut this nonsense and actually just get to the facts that um you know what racism is well and alive in New Zealand it really is sorry I don't know why I said young madam before just could have been madam but I feel like I always got told young madam so that just really came um 
that just came to my mind because that's what I've always been called by like elder people, especially at school. It was always young madam um, instead of just, you know, sir. Anyways, I, I digress. Um, but it is well and alive in New Zealand. And I think one of the problems why we don't talk about it, or we don't recognize it as a problem is because we don't, recognize racism if it's not violence if it's not um someone obviously being hurt often physically um we don't recognize it as racism but i think we need to wake up to the fact that um it happens on all sorts of levels and it can influence different communities as well there's it's not just racism against um black people um I think if recent events have told us anything um, or shown us anything that, um, like, you know, it happens to our um, Asian brothers and sisters as well. It happens, it happens everywhere. And um, sometimes it's really small and casual, um, like microaggressions and jokes and casual racism. Um, sometimes it's stereotypes that come across as harm, uh, meaningless and as a joke, but they're actually quite harmful. Um, like I, one thing wearing a hijab in New Zealand that I get quite often is, oh, like you're too pretty to be wearing that hijab. You should, you should take it off. And people say that to me as if I should be, gushing over them and saying thank you so much thank you so much um but that's actually not a compliment it's an insult um a i am pretty with or without my hijab thank you very much and also i choose to wear the hijab it empowers me it makes me feel good it makes me feel like me and that should be way more important than how i look or aesthetics and when people say that to me expecting me to thank them and say it as if it's a compliment and then get mad at me when I call them out for it and you know they honestly it has happened before where I've called people out for it um and they just get hurt they're like excuse me I was just trying to give you a compliment well it's not and I think we need to open our eyes as a society that racism can come in many different forms um one of the conversations that I've been having a lot recently and um, with Kaz in the last episode, we touched upon it as well. But I think people were, you know, with the wave of um, anti-Asian hate and the discrimination against the Asian community. I think a lot of people have read, seen and heard this comment um, of, oh, like, I don't even know Asian people... Um, experience racism and I that makes that honestly breaks my heart to hear and I think one of the well there are lots of many different reasons why but I think one of the key reasons why people don't acknowledge racism against Asians is that um, I suppose in the migrant community um, I think Asians are put up to this put on this pedestal of being the best kind of migrant, right? Because, um, and this is just a generalization. It's not 
true for every single um, Asian household in New Zealand, but generally um, don't feature in the same statistics, do really well at school, have um, a, a stable financial um, life. And these things are associated with the majority of the the Pakiha experience and again I'm just generalizing I know that there are all walks of um all walks of life that are on the other end of the socioeconomic scale as well um and I totally acknowledge that um and so this is just a generalization but then it gives this um idea that being Asian is um, closer to white or like almost white right and if a group or a community is almost white then there's no possibility that there could ever be racism against this um, particular community and I feel like it definitely erases and silences um the Asian experience here in New Zealand so I just really want to impress um, the fact that racism can look like so many different things and if you are struggling to understand just um, go back and listen to previous episodes of the show and you'll hear the different lens that racism has affected people's lives and outside of my show sorry I didn't mean to didn't mean for it to sound like I was tooting my own horn but outside of the show there are so many different ways that um one can learn about um the different forms of racism and how it affects people's livelihoods um and it's a journey and it's confronting it it is um but to keep um fragility and check and ego at the bay and just have open heart and open mind and thinking about solutions always thinking about solutions um i know it's really hard and there are some not so nice things that um feelings that will come up but we can't dwell in those feelings um we have to push past them and think about solutions because if you are part of the majority or you have um, some privilege then um, you know you're in a position where instead of experiencing it yourself you're having to learn um, a lot of ethnic people people from the wider ethnic community unfortunately have experiences um, of racism um, but those who um have the the privilege um you have the opportunity to listen to know rather than experiencing to know um so just be mindful yeah that racism can look like so many different things um and the reason why i'm not going into specifics too much is that i just want to give people the opportunity to have that awareness to have that wider thought process so when you do come into specific situations in your life you can make that call for yourself you know does this cross the line is this racism um because I could spend forever and 
um, so could so many others who are doing work in this space. We could spend forever breaking down particular situations or asking people's or answering people's questions on certain um, topics um, and never getting there because we're not addressing the wider problem. Just to give it a metaphor, you know, we're not teaching anyone anything. We're just giving the answers when we want people to be able to think on their own and come up with their own answers. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to put it out there that racism can look like um, other things. And um, another thing that I wanted to put out there as well is just talking about privilege just um, for a hot second. Because um, I think the way that we think about privilege or talk about privilege takes away from what privilege actually is. And um, I know it's confronting having these kind of conversations, um, but for one attitude that I have seen come up again and again and an attitude that people have told me about when they try to talk about um, racism or it doesn't even have to be racism, to be honest, just like talking about migrants or talking about um even sexism i've heard this from a couple of my guy friends like you know if you i'm where i am in life because i've worked really hard like i don't have privilege i just have a really good um work ethic and that's um a troubling thought process i feel like just because privilege isn't about the what you have and like the you know the cherry on the top and the perks it's not quite about that what it actually is about is the obstacles that are that are in your way or aren't in your way if you don't have any obstacles in your way or barriers of doing a certain thing of getting to a certain place in your life or having a particular experience then you have privilege rather than I am where I am I have all of these good things or I have these perks because of my hard work it's not about the extra stuff it's not about where you are right now in life it's actually while you were moving through life did you have any barriers um and when I when you think about it like that then I think you're able to frame it in a way where you realize in what places and spaces do you have privilege and when do you don't um so thinking about those barriers that are in your life and what makes um, unpacking your pr privilege um, even harder is if you don't have any barriers or obstacles, you're not going to see it straight away because you've never had to think about it because you have been always, um, you have always been able to do it. Um, and that's why it's really important to listen when those of marginalized communities, and I'm not just talking about race now, I'm talking about, um, yeah, sexism. I'm talking about, about our, you know, queer community, sexual identity, um, our ability, because um, the disabled community 
have is a conversation that I think we don't talk about a lot. Yeah, we don't talk about it a lot. Um, but not, yeah, not just about race. So marginalized communities can mean a whole lot of things depending on the context. But that's why it's so important if you do have the privilege and if you are of the majority to listen to marginalized voices and experiences because you will never know what um, barriers you didn't have to go through until you hear what someone else had to go through to get to where they are now or to have the same um, opportunities that you know you have Um, and privilege the other tricky thing about privilege is that it's not um, fixed. There will be places where you will have no privilege and then you're in another space and you are of the majority. Um, and I think because most of us will have one foot in the other, uh, one foot here and one foot in the other, then hopefully that will lead to more empathy and understanding about how those barriers, whether you have them or they're invisible to you, um, you know, what the presence of those barriers means for people's lives. Um, And I think when it was framed like this to me, the way of thinking about privilege in such a way, I was able to think about where my privilege lies. Um, You know, I am black, I am Muslim, and I'm a female. So those three identities... um, sometimes not sometimes most of the time make life harder for me um but even though I have I occupy all three of those identities um there are so many places and spaces where I have privilege and so having the experience of hearing what those barriers are that I don't face is quite humbling and it does make me more um empathetic and so I hope Everyone has that empathy um, and understands the importance of hearing marginalized voices so you you can see the barriers that aren't there. Um, And once you see those barriers, then we can put the good work into thinking about, well, um, how can we move those barriers for everyone? Because I think if everyone had um, equal opportunity, equal resources and there was a equitable way to access those resources everyone would be living their best lives everyone would be thriving um but that's not the case so we need to build our systems in a way where we can give everyone the opportunity to thrive so um that is my two cents on privilege and another thing that i noticed this week um or in the past two weeks is stories and the importance of them and who often has the loudest voice and which stories get silenced um because of the presence of the really loud voice or story and the reason why I was thinking about this um is because recently Prince Philip passed away and I I I not saying that his death isn't tragic but um you know it's a huge loss for his family like that man was a father and a grandfather and 
you know, the queen's husband. And so, of course, in, in that immediate world, that will be a devastating loss. Um, and this is, this is, by the way, this is just my personal views on this. Um, but when we take it to the wider sense, just the coverage that his death got compared to other life changing stories or life pressing stories um, that wasn't reported on as much compared to the media coverage of his death just has me really confused I think because you know the there is a history of racism and colonialism in the monarchy and um you know, it seems like we're making a lot of progress when we're talking. It seems like, yeah, we've we've made a lot of progress and there is this need for things to change. And then someone from the monarchy passes away and completely blocks the media coverage and, and blocks everything else. Like, at the moment, Samoa is having... Um, Samoa, sorry. Samoa is having a huge election um you know the party that's in power at the moment um has been in power for a very very long time and they um finally being challenged and so who knows what the results are going to be like and you know there's still an ongoing crisis in Yemen and um you know I can't remember where but um, a Sikh temple there was um, a stabbing and so you know all these other things that are happening um, in these uh, events and stories even though they are traumatic um, or some of them are traumatic you know they speak to wider things that are happening in this world um, but yet they do not have the power or the platform for people to hear and listen and just following the conversation that we had around privilege and why it is so important to listen to um listen to those of marginalized voices how are we ever going to get to a point in our society where we are willing to identify what those barriers are for certain groups and communities and and how to remove those barriers if people are not even talking about it and it's just um interesting to me what stories um get a lot of coverage and what don't and you know what's the cost of that um so you know i encourage everyone to just yeah just to take note and be um observe what what things get a lot of media coverage and and what don't and how can we make journalism work in a way where all voices are uplifted and all stories have an equal platform um yeah, just some thoughts I had surrounding Prince Philip's death. Um, and I feel like it would be wrong of me to not mention um, the verdict that was recently um, decided upon. So I actually can't even remember his last name because I don't really care for him too much. But um, the police officer who killed George Floyd, he um, has been charged guilty. And I think this has um, 
released a lot of different emotions across the spectrum. And one thing that I saw that I thought was so strange, um, I can't remember what her title is in the US government, but Nancy um, Poloski, I think that's her name, um, she uh, had a press conference or media release, what do you call those things where... Um, you know, you you say a speech and everyone and their dog and the media world is there um, recording you and listening to you and taking quotes. And she thanked George Floyd um, for his sacrifice. And I, <laughs> when I um, heard that, I literally was floored. Um, it was not a sacrifice. George was murdered because there is rampant systemic racism um, with within the U.S. police system. Black people are, are definitely being targeted, and a few, for whatever reason, have somehow rationalized George Floyd's death and, and chalked it up to a penciled it up to an accident. I'm sorry, just look at all the other black lives that have been lost, um, I think, the most recent one that I read was, you know, someone had a packet of gum in their hand um, and they were 13 and they were shot by the police. Um, this was not a sacrifice. Nancy, um, he was killed and targeted by the police. So instead of focusing on, you know, George Floyd sacrificing his life for justice, what we should be, you know, talking about is, you know, what, um, you know, what can we change in the policing system where black people aren't targeted and black lives aren't always on the line whenever a black person interacts with a police officer and how do we keep um our black community safe it wasn't a sacrifice it was um you know george was a target of a very racist system and um you know, I'm really glad that the verdict was guilty, but also I feel like this is just the beginning. It's, um, I feel, I feel weird about using the word justice because we're still not there and there's still so much that needs to be done, um, in that space. There's still so much we need to get to the point where, Black lives aren't on the line um, when the police are out. Um, we need to look after our black community. Um, and at the moment, the system does not serve black people and does not look after black people. Um, so until that happens, I think we need to keep this energy up. We need to keep this momentum um, moving forward um, until we can see true justice, I feel. And to wrap up this episode, I just want to um, express my fangirl over this book that I've been um, reading recently. It's called Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning by Pat Kathy Park Hong. And the author is Korean American and a lot of, uh, no, 
it's a collection of essays and it's all her experiences so it's based in America but you know there is a lot that I think that can be transferred to the Aotearoa context and this is huge um and it's, that's where the title of the book comes from, this feeling of minor feelings. And um, the way that she writes about it, I'm like, okay, that that's exactly it. And I think these minor feelings is the reason why, um, the reason why when we think about racism and the Asian community, we haven't really thought about it. So this is just directly quoting from the book. Minor feelings, the racialized range of emotions that are negative, dysphoric, and therefore untelogenic, built from the sediments of everyday racial experience and the irritant of having one's perception of reality constantly questioned or dismissed. So these feelings that are that brew over time um because of the daily um um, it's not necessarily daily sorry i mean just the casual racism those microaggressions which questionly make um people question themselves or even you know their experience completely dismissed that's those what those minor feelings are and um and then she goes on to say you know minor feelings are also the emotions we are accused of having when we decide to be difficult in other words when we decide to be honest when minor feelings are finally externalized they are interpreted as hostile ungrateful jealous depressing and belligerent effects ascribed to racialized behavior that whites consider out of line our feelings are overreactions because our lived experiences of structural Inequity are not um, commensurate with their deluded reality. Um, sorry, was that thing again where you just read a book but you never actually have to say the word aloud? And once you say the word aloud, you're unsure of how it fits in your mouth and how you meant to say it. But, you know, these emotions um, that you're accused of when you decide to be difficult, in other words, when you decide to be honest, um, just makes me think of that um, stereotype of really angry black woman um, when actually we're just protesting against our reality, um, but our experiences are never validated. So if you are interested about learning more um, in the Asian space when it comes to talking about race I would definitely recommend this book Um, so just we'll say it one more time so you can note it down Minor Feelings an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong and on that note thank you for tuning into my musings thank you for um, being patient with me I know that I um, sometimes say things weird but you know what we're just going to go with the flow um speaking from the heart and yeah thank you for tuning into my two cents on various things and catch you in the next episode thank you for tuning in into another episode of headscarves and good yarns to keep spinning the yarns let us know your thoughts you can find us on facebook and instagram at headscarves and good yarns or email us at headscarves and good yarn at gmail.com This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.